Hi, I'm Axel Tyree, the author of the not-so-well-known A Light to Start By, and uh, you're listening to Book Podcast, which would actually be a fantastic podcast if it weren't for the last minute. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, we are back with a book review. It seems like it's been a long time since we've done one of these, huh? A little while, yeah. Yeah, it's been a little while. Um, this week, we dive into uh, the international bestseller that's at the center of the world's nicest cease and desist um, letter. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? No. <laughs> Broken Piano for President. Um, if you don't have a Facebook account, you probably would have no idea what we're talking about. Anybody else would have noticed that there was a flurry of activity around this book. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, what we found interesting was that everybody was talking about a cease and desist letter. No one was talking about the book and just kind of thought that was a little shameful. So we, uh, we decided we would go ahead and, uh, and read this book. And we did. We did, because that's what we do. That's right. All right, I'll tell you a little bit about the author. Patrick Wensink was born in Desher, Ohio in 1979. Since that time, he has done a lot of things he is not proud of, but he's also done some pretty interesting stuff. Over the years, he has bottled and sold his own line of Wentastic barbecue sauce, got married in a donut shop, and even found the time to author a few greeting cards. Beginning his writing career as a rock critic, his work appears in several newspapers, magazines, and websites. Gradually shifting his attention to fiction, he published his first book, a collection of short stories, Sex Dungeon for Sale, in 2009, followed by the novels Black Hole Blues and Broken Piano for President. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky. You know who else lives in Louisville, Kentucky? There's a lot of people who live in Louisville, Kentucky, but I'm thinking David James Keaton is who you're referring to. Uh, That is correct. Louisville, Kentucky is also like five minutes from Corridon, Indiana, where we went to the Frank Bill... Uh, book release for Crimes in Southern Indiana. Wonderful just, Louisville, Kentucky, at the heart of everything. Yeah. And they make bats there. Um, like baseball bats, not like vampire bats. I make um, vampire bats. Yeah, Livius makes... <laughs> he, he makes those. All right, so here's here's a little bit about the book. The synopsis we pulled from... The Broken Piano for President website, uh, uh, the first line Livius already kind of stole. Uh, the international bestseller at the center of the world's nicest cease and desist from Jack Daniels uh, has been featured in The New Yorker, New York Times, Forbes, London Telegraph, Esquire, The Atlantic, NPR's Weekend Edition, and honestly, dozens and dozens of more sites. You know, everything from um, like Gawker to Huffington Post, like everybody's been talking about this book. So here's, here's a little bit about the actual book. Ever drank too much and forgot what happened? Don't be embarrassed. Deschler Dean faces this problem every day of his life. Dean is far more brilliant and productive when he's blackout drunk. In the last few months alone, he has invented a hamburger more addictive than crystal meth, scored a six-figure record contract for his terrible art rock band, and started dating a woman he doesn't even recognize. Worse yet, he has become entangled in the biggest war since the Allies took on Germany. When rival fast food chains duke it out for control over Dean's burger-inventing genius, Dean and his bandmates plunge into the absurd world of corporate paranoia and greed. As the violence of the burger wars spills out onto the streets, it's up to them to win over the hearts and stomachs of the American people and save the country from the equivalent of a deep-fried nuclear warhead. One take. 
No flaws. <laughs> Nicely done, sir. <laughs> if that sounds like a sprawling synopsis, that's because it is, and is very indicative of uh, of of how this how this novel plays out. Yeah, it's a big story. A lot of stuff going on in there. Lots of characters. Um, actually, yeah. Enough characters where we had to list, I think, five characters that we'd need to talk about, and then a few places too that have big enough roles that we consider them characters as well. Just probably a good starting point. Um, let's talk a little bit about Deschler Dean, our main character. So the book kicks off essentially with uh, we find Deschler Dean waking up in a car. He had blacked out and doesn't remember what happened, and uh, he essentially is in a car with a girl. He doesn't recognize and he thinks she's dead so it's a really rough kind of beginning to the book and that's the whole thing with this character is um uh, once he starts drinking um he basically blacks out and can't remember anything that that has gone on while he was he was drunk and it's uh typical enough of his lifestyle that he actually has named the person that takes over when he's drunk and his uh his drunken uh persona is cliff drinker one of the things I found interesting about the Deschler character is, first of all, that I was pretty sure his first name was Dean throughout the whole book. Yeah, and that happened to me too. <laughs> until you pulled the synopsis down, no idea that it was the other way around. Um, the second thing was that, you know, obviously, whenever you read a story, you're kind of seeing things for the first time through the character's eyes. It's kind of interesting because this time you really felt... With, with Dean and his blackout drunkenness that every time he was learning something that happened, you felt equally as lost as the character did. I didn't feel at any point that I really knew more than he did, which was kind of an interesting uh, interesting take, especially for a third-person narrative. Yeah, it was... Um, I don't know if this is really a negative or not, but it was really disor- it was a disorientation for me in the beginning to, to have that limitation of only seeing and knowing what he did. Uh, for the parts that were focused on him. It was really confusing in the beginning. And like Livia said, I thought his name was Dean. And then even the next character we're probably going to talk about a little bit, Henry Hamler, who's a bandmate of his. Um, in the beginning, I wasn't really sure that they were different people necessarily. It was kind of strange. Um, I mean, they had different names. But it was confusing enough of a setup that I was kind of confused about who was who and things like that. I feel your pain, brother. I was in the same boat with you there. Um, before we go on and talk about Henry um, Hamler, I guess we should mention that uh, Deschler Dean, Henry Hamler, and another character we'll be talking about here shortly are part of a band called Lothario Speedwagon. That's uh, a, uh, I guess, and I'm not terribly familiar, but they're kind of uh, uh, molded after the butthole surfers. Uh, and they're kind of like a performance group, right? Like more of a performance art group than a... Mm-hmm musical group yeah yeah and obviously a terrible takeoff of the band ario speedwagon do you know what lothario is no i just looked it up right now because i had no idea uh a male first name which came to oh okay so it's a it connotes uh, an unscrupulous seducer of women yeah so there you go a, a seducer yeah. doesn't make any sense now in the context of the whole thing yeah it's just one of those stupid Band names. That's I, like, know, I, I liked it as a band name. Yeah. Now, yeah. W- w- with context, I guess it doesn't work as well. <laughs> I guess that's the whole thing. It's never try to figure out what your favorite band name's name actually means. That's right. Next up, Henry Hamler. Okay, and, and this is going to get a little difficult because, like, um, there are, are 
um, I don't know if this is going to be spoiler. I guess it's not that spoilery, though. Um, that there's kind of multiple facets to the different characters. Like, Henry's a bandmate in this Lothario Speedwagon uh, band, but he's also kind of got a different job uh, working for a major burger chain as, like, a hitman. <laughs> so... Okay. He fashions himself as a, as a spy more than a hitman, like kind of the, I don't know, black ops of the burger business. Yeah. Um, so... And I guess that kind of like that breaches a subject. So, one of the main points, and it was mentioned in the synopsis, is that um, there there's these rival burger uh, joints, and they the, so they both headquartered themselves in the same town. The funny part is that you know they have such a rivalry and, and all this money built up and so much writing on being the the most popular burger place that they have, you know, like muscle guys and you know they do these nefarious things and they have spies and there's espionage and stuff like that and so Henry's one of the people that's that's kind of there as one of the the muscle like thugs third and final band uh, band mate I'm not band name I want to get back on that topic Juan Pandemic um, which may or may not be his real name if you already guessed it from the from hearing it the pandemic part Um, he's the drummer and a total meth head Yep, totally an addict. He's like that, that dirty, nasty kind of dude, and a drummer, and and he plays a, at least in my opinion, kind of a much lesser role, at least in the beginning of the book. And he his time to shine definitely picks up later on, like halfway to, halfway through the book or so. Deschler's would be girlfriend Melinda Redding, who works for um for one of the uh, for one of the burger chains. And is uh you know one of their one of their top people, um that's the girl who might be dead when when uh, Deschler wakes <laughs> up in the car, and uh, in the synopsis it mentions that he's dating a girl he doesn't recognize that's all her. Yep, I like that character. She she was as close to like a femme fatale kind of character as they have in this book, but if you watered down a femme fatale a lot, I guess. Um, then you've got. Uh, just a couple of characters who are significant in the fact that they're tied in with one of the burger uh, companies is Christopher Winters, who's like uh, uh, the patriarch of of the Winters old time hamburgers. <laughs> Total side note: I wrote Humbers. I know, <laughs> I know, and I was I kept thinking to myself. <laughs> I wonder if this is this is something that I missed in the book and just skipped over it and kept thinking it was burgers i wasn't even paying attention while i was typing so so christopher (laughs) uh so christopher winters is kind of the patriarch the the guy who started one of these giant burger chains called winters old time hamburgers and um i guess it's not really too much of a spoiler he doesn't last too far into the book um and his son roland winters takes over the business and um they're just more big names in the fact that they're you know Put the the you know pushing the pawns around in this giant war between these two hamburger places. I thought that, and again, Christopher Winters comes up a lot in the book as as the founder. But one of the things I loved about him and in his character kind of validated all of the espionage stuff because he really his backstory is what sets up. I think in a way like the Burger Wars, just like the the ridiculous things and how he came to be the founder of winter's old time 
mm-hmm. almost validates the stuff that, that happens afterwards. The stuff that we think of as silly as, you know, people, you know, having, you know, a burger chain, having a hitman kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's at larger than life. I don't know if, how you imagined him in your head, but I always picture the, uh, like, uh, the big, like Texas oil tycoon kind of guy with the 10 gallon hat. And he's driving that convertible car with the, like the horns at the front of the hood. You know what I'm talking about? Like he, I, that's how I pictured the dude. And he's got this like larger than life past. He was in world war two and, you know, he almost captured Hitler, almost captured Hitler. And then, you know, after that, you know, uh, got, you know, what it invented the electric toothbrush. There's like, he's just one of these guys that just hit everything, you know, exactly right. And became this super influential, famous person. And, um, yeah, you're, I think you're right. It really does set a very large stage for crazy, crazy shit to happen in a burger place, which I think without that may have been a, a harder pill to swallow. And then just really quickly, cause we spent a lot of time talking about the characters, but there is a uh, winter's old time hamburgers, which we mentioned, their competitor, so their late competitor, they came along a little later and kind of tried to copy what Winters was doing, bust a gut burgers. And then uh, much later on in the story, of course, uh, a, a healthy option comes along called Healthy Wallies. Yep. And these, I mean, they're so central to the story that they're definitely their own characters. And in as much as like, so we're in the present day, you know, and following these characters and what's going on with them. But one thing does a thing that I, I've, I really fell in love with as far as the way that Kurt Vonnegut writes is that he would um, kind of lace the, the story with um, flashbacks to, he built up a history of these things from when they were founded, you know, in the earlier, you know, after the world war two, when these uh, burger chains were founded and how they changed you know, the country and the things that they did to become the super mega companies that they were now. And so, um, he establishes kind of a false history, but he does a great job of, of going back to that um, every now and then to te- teach you more about the history of it. And that builds up more legitimacy to the story overall. And it just makes it a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Livius? Authentic. Yeah, it makes it more authentic, gives it more of a depth. And, and you don't see it all the time, but he pulled it off very well. And it was one of the things that I think endeared me so much to Vonnegut's stories is that he, he gives, it, it reads almost like a history book where you're seeing things, um, the and like the things that happen and the consequences and the things that, that put into motion and stuff. So I thought that was really well done in this book. Can we talk a little bit about the burgers? <laughs> of course. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. So the way that, you know, any type of food place, I think, tries to outdo the other one is always kind of, or it was for a long time until it became taboo in the last 10 years or so, was kind of trying to outdo the other one. So some of the burgers that are mentioned, um, one, and this is kind of that historical part that Rob was just talking about, was a teriyaki beef jerky burger, which <laughs> was from a while back. It, it's referred to as in the past. But, but let's, so here's what we're going to do every time we talk about one of these. Would you eat a teriyaki beef jerky burger? No. See, I would totally try to teriyaki beef jerky burger. <laughs> I would totally do that. That sounds just so terrible. I'm going to read a, a quote um, that's from uh, very early in the book, 8% in, um, that addresses one of the sandwiches. Uh, 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 Dean and the woman are driving, and they see a billboard. Uh, it features a giant crispy lump the size of a refrigerator, sweating grease. It looks like a rumpled paper bag but claims to be a sandwich. There's a blue and yellow logo at the bottom for Busted Gut Hamburgers. 
Above this fried fist, it reads, Trust your gut, catch Monte Cristo mania. All right. So there it is, man. Monte Cristo burger. Would you eat a deep fried hamburger? Uh, I don't think I would. Dude, you are so lame. We could never go eat. We could never go get burgers together. Well, all right. So it's not. Okay, okay. Cut to real life. This is something that actually happened. So Livius one day is all excited, and we have to go to this one restaurant because it's got this burger called a Ferg burger, but it has nothing to do with Sean Ferguson yet. Um, well, and I was very disappointed, <laughs> by the way, when I found out that that's not what it was. <laughs> yeah, if we put Sean Ferguson between two buns, would you eat that burger? Yeah, see, now you now got to think about that one. <laughs> so this burger... It's a cheeseburger. It's like a bacon cheeseburger, too. It's like a full-on crazy burger on its own. But instead of buns, it's got a grilled cheese sandwich on each side. And um, the first time we went there, I didn't eat it because I felt so intimidated and awful about it that I couldn't bring myself to do it. I actually did, I think the second or third time we went to this place, get that burger. And I'm not lying. I felt like I needed to call someone up and apologize for, for having actually ate that eat, eating that burger is just a surreal experience you're saying you didn't like the burger it tasted good it just felt wrong all right so i'm guessing then the, the 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 one of the other burgers that comes mentioned later on is the um the, i forget what they call it, but it's it's a it's a cheeseburger but instead of buns it has mozzarella sticks for buns <laughs> Yeah, on that one too. I would steer clear of that. I like the one where it's like uh, <laughs> it was like some sort of like sandwich that was like an entire lunch uh, on, on a bun, basically mm-hmm. like chips and or fries, you know, everything all piled onto a bun. I don't want to spoil it because the, the craziest sandwich comes at the end, and you know what I'm talking about. So I don't want to spoil that. That's the only one I don't think I would eat of every sandwich they mentioned. Oh yeah, I, I that's not a big surprise because it's not. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm done talking about my favorite part of the book. That was all the all the good burgers. Um, so one thing that I wanted to bring up, and and it kind of ties in with my the feeling of Von, the the Vonnegut feeling I got from the book um, about him building up a history, um, and kind of having that cause and effect that you could see throughout you know the the decades, um, is that the story's unique in the fact that it's kind of an insular world. So you have a setting where it's one city that's got two warring uh, burger companies both having their headquarters in that city. So there's really no reason for the story to take to go anywhere outside of the, the the limits of that city. So it's like it's a world unto itself, and, and even though there are some minor influences from the outside world, um, you really don't see any kind of other references, especially not to other actual real fast food places or anything it's it's just like he builds its own little world and nice thing i like about that is it's not trying to be too much i mean it it gives you the feeling it's not a constrained feeling but at the same time um the story works well within the parameters that he set for it it doesn't feel like it misses anything um for not going any any farther out i agree yeah he definitely built his own little universe and it all worked very very well together for for the sake of this I, I wonder how much of that was just the fear of mentioning McDonald's. Yeah, I think he did enough with like the parody of. I mean, like he he built car- caricatures of of you know fast food restaurants, and that's pretty much exactly what you want to do in this situation. But yeah, you would think that he'd be afraid of getting some sort of cease and desist letter from a fast food chain. 
not exactly how that went. (laughs) (laughs) Another favorite thing um, of mine in this book, and and I guess it's a couple different ways, but it's kind of like these little asides where where he steps out of the story for a minute. So just one of the examples to give you an idea of what I'm talking about is we mentioned that he wakes up in, in this car. At one point, he talks about having Bean's non-Hall of Fame. And what this is, is like the worst places he's woke up in the morning drunk. So you have these little asides where it goes into a bullet-pointed list of things. So sometimes it could be, you know, the 10 best moments of his life or, you know, or, or these places he's woke up or, or conversations he's had with people or the weirdest thing was the one is the weirdest notes he's woken up to. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. So it's kind of nice taking you out of the story a little bit. To, to tell you these funny little asides and then drop you right back in. So the book doesn't move very linearly as far as that goes. The story does, but it, there are times where you're, it, it's a total timeout from what you're reading. Yeah, and then in addition to that, there are a couple of moments where he kind of breaks the fourth wall and just kind of talks talks directly to the reader. And it's something that I complained about... 1Q84? Well, like we we hated it in one Q eight four, but then um, um, shit, what was it? Hang on. Oh, in Real C, we didn't like it in Real C either. Where uh, he suddenly like three quarter, two thirds of the way through the book is just like, hey, we're gonna look at a story we haven't really even like mentioned before. Now, it happens in this book too, and I didn't feel nearly as like assaulted by it. And I think part of that is the fact that it was really confusing and jumbled in the beginning anyway um so and it's just kind of a weirder book in general so it's i think i expected it more to have like the the you know the narrator just start talking at me than i did with railsy which seemed i mean first of all way more uh structured and fantastical and 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 i I wouldn't say more literary but you know more serious um so yeah there are these kind of fourth wall moments where he just starts talking to you and and it leads to, I mean, it, it works fine, and it leads to some other things that um, Livius mentioned that I kind of didn't really think too much about, but Livius was mentioning how cool the idea of a montage was in a book, and I have to agree that it it worked really well. He does just at one point kind of announce that, you know, at this point there's a lot of things going on, and the best way to handle this is like we all think it should be handled in some montage scenes, and then goes on to write these kind of montages of the different characters, which I thought was just genius, just great stuff. And he even talked about like the music that would be playing. It was, yeah. it all worked pretty well together. <laughs> One of the other sides, and then Rob made fun of me earlier for this, but um, yeah, he totally teaches you how to make your own, uh, how to make your own crystal meth. And apparently, Rob has more exposure to crystal meth than I do. Because Rob was like, I knew how to do this since 1992. But, so anyway, thanks for teaching me now, so I can catch up with everybody else. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, meth is kind of old news at this point. And yeah, that was my thought. Was like, yeah, in the in the early to mid '90s, I think it was Spin Magazine had a, a full on article about the everything you'd need to do to make your own crystal meth. And I was like, oh, there you go. And I never did. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you can see how big I am. Um, <laughs> but Livius was just like, oh, what meth? He doesn't watch Breaking Bad. I do watch Breaking Bad, but they never tell you how to make it. See, that's the secret oh, of that show. Oh. That's why people keep watching. One day, one day they're going to just subliminally flashing a recipe in between frames or something. Um, can I mention something that um, vague, got brought up a little bit earlier? I suppose. 
I want to go on record as saying authoritatively without hesitation that that this is by far the book with the most references to the band Butthole Surfers of any book that's ever been made ever. I don't even have to fact check that. I'm 100% sure it's true. There's a lot of references to the band The Butthole Surfers. What about the uh, Butthole Surfers biography? I doubt there is one. If only there were a way to find out. If only. We're not going to look. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look either. I'd rather just be right in my mind. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And like I said, uh, Dean kind of, you know, tries to model his life after. Is it Gibby? Gibby? Is that the singer's name? I think it's Gibby. For the sake of this podcast, it's Gibby. So it's kind of like a what would Gibby do? These situations he gets into. So Yeah. So lots of lots of references of I mean okay so I mean they're in a band so obviously you know dude thinks about music a, a lot but I think this is the only band that they mention right pretty sure yeah I don't think I don't think there's a whole lot I don't, know, I don't think there's anything else that comes up that comes to mind right away kind of weird another weird aside which isn't really a weird aside but it's just something I noticed um, having looked at the synopsis uh, Deschler Dean. His first name is the uh, the name of the town that that the uh, author Patrick Wensink was born in, Deschler, Ohio. Sharp. My mind is sharp. I catch these little details. I'm actually right now playing the butthole surfers in the background um, while we're talking about this. Oh, that's why you're not. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry I was YouTubing. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to find something other than that Pepper song to see what they actually sound like. <laughs> that's it. That's the only song they have. So, writing style. Um, you know, his writing style, uh, structurally, you know, we kind of told you it's, it's a book that doesn't take itself very seriously. It's, it's willing to take you out of the story for, you know, for a giggle or, or, a, or a sideways look at something, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, what do you think about the writing itself? Um, all right. So at the beginning, I was really nervous and, and um, I don't know if I personally would have structured it the same way he did. Um, at the beginning of the book, we're seeing it a lot from the perspectives of. Deschler Dean, um, Henry Hamler, a little bit from Juan Pandemic's point of view, uh, and and these are all really kind of messed up dudes who, um, a they're messed up, so their their perspectives on what they're seeing is is not that uh, clear. B there's a lot of stuff that uh, is intentionally left out because it's integral to what's going on in the story later on. So we're getting very. Um, sketchy images of what's going on instead of more of a clear picture. So in the beginning, I was a little bit nervous and it just seemed like it, it was confusing. And then as time went on and, and things kind of, the doors opened up a little bit more. So we got more information and we saw more perspectives and we got more of just like a straight up narrative narrative. Um, great. I mean, it's really well written. And um, like, again, like I said, that kind of familiar Vonnegut feel of, of his history building and stuff really, grounded me after all that confusion which is good and it's and it's a satire book so it's got that kind of irreverent humor that gives him license to kind of do the goofier stuff that happens in the book so shaky beginning i was a little bit nervous but overall i think it was uh pretty well written i think that the thing i liked most about his writing style was that it was uh if you get satire sometimes it feels very overt and and I think that this was very understated. Just his style of writing, even when it was funny, was kind of understated. You know, it, it wasn't kind of mm-hmm. slapping in the face constantly. And I mm-hmm. really liked that because at times, 
I actually had to read and like think to myself, is this supposed to be funny or am I just kind of finding it funny? Like, like you know what I mean? Trying to make up my mind on, you know, it was so subtle that there were times mm-hmm. where I actually questioned. I thought it was funny. I just wasn't sure if that if uh, if uh, Patrick thought we should think it's funny. But ultimately, you know, after enough of that, I figured out that, yeah, it's just a very toned down way of writing satire. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Good stuff. So you want to do some quotes? I'd love to do some quotes. I already managed to sneak one in early because I have a lot. I'm going to throw one out really quickly. It's towards the beginning of the book, and we mentioned it a little bit already, so I don't have to set it up. But there was just a really nice line to, to get acquainted with the book in the beginning is, dollar beers are how people wake up next to dead girls. That's awesome. It set so much scenery for the, for the rest of the book. I'm going to go out to one of those bars that has those signs where you can just change the letters, and I'm going to change that on their on their sign. Nice. There's a bar near here that has a Saturday night karaoke. It's karaoke is <laughs> just spelled wrong. So their sign is going to say dollar beers is how you wake up next to dead girls. That'd be awesome. We talked a little bit about the character pandemic and here's a partial description, I guess more of his personality than his looks. With all this raggedness, though, you can't spend more than a minute with Pandemic without getting the impression he thinks he's better than you. As far as vain meth addicts go, he tops the leaderboard. Yep, I like that a lot. Here's a really quick one, and this is just more of like uh, uh, the weird liberties that um, Wensink kind of took with the way he was narrating the story. And this is in one of those kind of historical flashback moments. Um, where he's talking about the origins of hamburgers and stuff. And he says, it's wild. It's wildly disputed who first chopped a cow into tiny bits, uh, cooked those bits in a flat circle and slid it between bread. Frankly, it doesn't matter. That guy's not in this story. It was like, right on brother. That's perfect. From one of the numerous asides. Uh, I actually have two. Uh, I just noticed this other one. I hadn't actually highlighted it. These are reviews, um, from, from, um, websites and newspapers uh, reviewing Lothario Speedwagon and uh, both of these are translated from Japanese <laughs> burn Lothario like nuclear missile of love hail 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 the anti-beatles it's from the Osaka <laughs> Daily News this next one is from TokyoCityBlues.com <laughs> ear holes make yummy god damn it ear holes make yummy buzz melt bubble gum to trash cans babies dance babies dance yeah, good stuff. He does know how to turn a phrase, though, and 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 I, I have a few examples of some really good uses usage of of words. Here's here's one that I really liked. The cold pinches her lips into a pink so deep, daughters want their bedrooms this color. That is the one we both had bookmarked. That's the one, and I mean beautiful. Like you you can immediately think of the exact pink he's talking about. It's a great way to pull up an image of what you're talking about. From another fourth wall breaking moment. So right now you're probably saying something to the effect of, geez, there is a lot of burger talk flying around. This book is one cold cut away from being a butcher shop menu. This is the point I'd say, yeah, maybe you're right. Is this a little overkill? You'd shrug and I'd feel kind of guilty. <laughs> That's nice. There's a part in the book where one guy's talking about how great club sandwiches are. And um, there was a notoriously drunken retort about club sandwiches that... Uh, people were talking about later and the drunken retort was compared to a monte cristo sandwich the club tastes like crapped pants yeah <laughs> gets a little naughty it gets a nauseating i guess is the is the best word for it 
I'm going to, I have a bunch more. I'm going to close out with this one too, just because I thought it was uh, much like the other one, the cold pinches her lips. Uh, I thought it was just kind of a beautifully written sentence. Napoleon can't hear them speak, but the driver's lips practice unhappy patterns. Yeah, I really dug that one. Can I throw out like, uh, I'm going to throw out like two or three just really quick that I, again, um, good language, just good use of language. The cosmonauts wearing signature blue jumpsuits are spread in a constellation throughout the room. Just bam. Uh, here's another one. White towels. Whoa, whoa. I was just going to say, and yes, there actually are cosmonauts in this book, something we, we glaze completely over. <laughs> another quick one. White towels and blankets sponge up the blood in a peppermint candy swirl. More of a gross one. His mouth tastes the way that used floss smells. Kind of a nasty one, but bam. Good, good image there. We love like it nasty. And then, can I throw a really funny one out just to wrap it up for my quotes? And I Absolutely. promise I'll be done. <laughs> this is towards the end of the book, and it just caught me off guard. I thought it was so funny. Ah, Ireland, he slurs in a leprechaun voice. That's a fine Irish name. Nothing? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Nothing? It's crickets? No, that's good. It's a fine Irish name. It's the name of the country. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good, uh, uh, pretty good feel for the kind of, uh, the kind of, you know, humor and, and just really good writing that you can expect from from Patrick Wensink. Yes, absolutely. I think we're at that point, Livius. You want to do a little wrap up? Yeah, why not wrap it up? What to say about this? It's definitely satire. We've reviewed some other satire on the show. This is uh, definitely a little more subtle, I think. At least in the actual writing and in the actual writing of the words, it's a little more subtle than some of the other satire read, which was fine. Um, Because I didn't feel like he was hitting me over the head with with anything. Um, A few things I really liked. I kind of really liked having no clue what was going on along with Deschler Dean. As he's coming out of his blackouts, you kind of feel like you're coming out of them too. Um, which made me wonder a little bit because I was a little confused at the beginning and, and I didn't really think about it until later until I was really in the story, you know, about how I kind of like this portion of it. I'm wondering how much of that was actually done on purpose. So um, we've got some asides. We have a big story. It's a war between burger companies, which, you know, isn't what I would think would, would play out to be a really good story, but um, very readable uh, engaging enough that you want to keep going. No clue where the story is going. I mean, there's, the rock band there's these cosmonauts there's you know these <laughs> these boring burger factions i mean there's really no point in this book i was i was willing to put together where what the end result would be and then i was kind of surprised at the end result especially because i didn't expect anything in particular from it so um yeah i guess to make a long story a little shorter um i really enjoyed it it's definitely worth a read if you like satire i'm gonna give it four stars the old livius four star rating i really liked it <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, really quickly, I'm going to sum it up. Uh, one thing I want to say, this is definitely a read the synopsis first type of book. It is a little bit murky in the beginning, so the synopsis is going to give you a bit of grounding, help you get through it when you're a little bit unsure what's going on. Um, it is definitely a story with some big ideas and some really out there things going on. These warring burger thing factions or warring burger companies um, is a big story. Lots of stuff going on with this crazy band, and like Olivia said, this whole blacking out and not remembering what things are going on. But the thing I liked is the story never got bigger than the characters. It's all about the characters and what happens with them. So um, that was a big bonus in my in my mind. 
really like the way that he built up a history of, you know, these burger things and, and use that to, to, to build a solid foundation for what was going on in the present day. Um, and yeah, I mean, even his kind of weird tangents and breaking the fourth wall and random lists and stuff, nothing ever felt like it shouldn't have been in there. It just worked. So he wrote it in a way where, where it worked. Um, I only was really nervous about it at the beginning when it was confusing, but otherwise the book was a really solid, really easy read. I knocked it out in two days. Um, and overall, I like that one Butthole Surfer song too. So um. <laughs> That's got to be worth half a star right there. That's, that's, that is. It's half a star. So overall, I, I really dug it. I'm doing four stars as well. Wow, we're on the same page with this one. Yeah. And I was originally planning on three and a half, so I think the Butthole Surfer's did give that extra half a star <laughs> sometimes man sometimes that helps um yeah i hate the butthole surfers it was totally a 4.75 star in book in my mind but oh, yeah see how that works gimli so. or whatever that guy's name is <laughs> yeah gim gimby i don't know i guess i could look it up but that's we're kind of done we're not really done talking about it are we oh no i there's absolutely nothing else that's interesting about this book cease and desist i know <laughs> talk about that um Go ahead. All right. So I mentioned this at the top of the show. Here's what I found really disturbing. I see this cease and desist letter shared up on Facebook. Um, do we actually want to read it? Um, I just want to link it to it. or We'll link to it, and, yeah, you can kind of go, go over the, the big points. So I see this, and uh, I go, oh, okay. And I think uh, I think Nikki Gerling brought the cease and desist letter to our attention first. But I see this, I read it, and I go, oh, yeah, that cover of that book looks a lot like a deck. A Jack, a Jack Daniels label. Since so I had a bottle of Jack Daniels today. Jack <laughs> Daniels label. And uh, so the cease and desist letter says, Hey, we know discover your book. Some very similar characteristics with the Jack Daniels label. We'd like for you to stop using it, but we're willing to pay a portion to reprint new covers. That's kind of amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, they were like, you know, We'd like it if you'd stop using this cover when you, you know, when it when it's reprinted. When you run out of the ones you already have. Yeah. And you know what? If you could if you could get rid of it sooner, that we'd really appreciate that. And we'll even help you pay for it. Yeah, like who does that other than Jack Daniels? And it was just so chummy. It was like, you know what? We know you're a fan of Jack Daniels, and you're from the Louisville area, so you're we're like neighbors. And uh, we know that you want us to have a strong brand for, you know, that kind of thing. So they're like, we know you're really on our side, so we're not going to be dicks. But reply by June 23rd. <laughs> well, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to read I'm going to read a portion of this just because it says what may not be so apparent, however, is that if we allow uses like this one, we run the very real risk that our trademark will be weakened. As a fan of the brand, I'm sure that is not something you intended or would want to see happen. As an author, you can certainly understand our position and the need to contact you. You may even have run into similar problems with your own intellectual property. And, you know, she, I, <laughs> and all the eyes had little hearts above them. And... <laughs> all I know is that when uh, we're going to hire um, Christy Sussman, who is the senior attorney in trademarks for, uh, for Jack Daniels Properties to represent our show for any copyright infringement that's going on, that's who's going to be sending our letters. Yeah. And all of our cease and desist letters are going to smell like perfume. Of course. Of I've been, course. I was holding that in for like the whole time you said that. <laughs> 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 I 
Um, but all right, so because of this, the thing, all right, so it's a beautiful cease and desist letter, and you're almost like, hey, Jack Daniels, I want to go drink some because they're so nice. But because it happened, this book, which, I mean, it's on a smaller press, Lazy Fascist, which is an imprint of Eraserhead, um, you know, kind of a, it's definitely an indie press and not, not very big distribution, I don't believe. This story just exploded. And like we said earlier, I mean, New York Times, The New Yorker, NPR, The Atlantic, big, big, big name, even London Telegraph. So it's an international story now. This story just exploded everywhere. At one point, this was the number six best-selling book on Amazon, and the top four were all Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, talk about good luck, right? I, I You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a book. <laughs> and I'm going to make the cover look a lot like some very well-recognized brand. One day, you know what somebody's going to do? They're going to go back through all these episodes and listen to all the harebrained ideas that you and I have had of things we claimed we were going to do and cut those <laughs> all into one, one long <laughs> montage of dumb ideas. Hold us to it. They're going to be like 20 years later. They're going to be like, you have to make a book and it's going to have to look like a brand. And you're going to have to. That's going to be a terrible day. The thing that really bothered me, and, and since we you know, had decided to, to cover the book, um, we reached out to Cameron Pierce, who's the editor, and you know, I said, hey, and like I'm looking at all these and no one's talking about the book. Everyone's talking about the cover of the cease and desist letter. And, you know, that's kind of shitty. So I thought, you know, someone should talk about the book. Now, since we started reading the book, I immediately stopped reading anything about it. because I don't like to read other reviews when we're reviewing something. So maybe at some point someone's come out and, and, and done a review on this. But I'm not thinking the New York Times. I think they mentioned Jack Daniels and that was it. So shame on you, everybody who talked about the cover of this book and didn't at once even mention, you know, what the content was. Yeah, I mean, that's really a shame. Like you want you want you you want to be judged and known for the quality of what you do, not just for some, you know, theatrics that happen to happen along with it i guess if that makes sense and and to to prove it all right so this is was at one point the number six book in all of books right mm-hmm. on amazon yep. the number six amazon yep do you know how many amazon reviews there are um i think now there are probably seven there are six six people out of the you know however many it takes to buy a book enough to put it number six in amazon Six people took the time to review it, so I, that's just shitty, guys. I mean, don't. I mean, I'm glad that it got the the attention and the press, you know, and probably the sales it got from it. But I mean, he's a he he spent time writing this. We should, you know, he deserves to know, you know, how people think about it, what people think about it. I agree. I'm getting all sad. You're bringing me down. I know. I can hear the emotion in your voice. So. I'm, I'm pissed. <laughs> now, we should probably mention that we don't do a lot of Amazon reviews because we do this. Yeah. So I've written a handful of Amazon reviews, uh, mostly at the request of um, you know the author. But, yeah, I mean, we do the show. We'll send a show. So maybe one day someone will go on there and create a book account and mark down what our reviews are. Someone can transcribe them. There's another bonehead idea book transcriptions (laughs) well here's the thing if i was to post an amazon review i would just say go listen to my podcast but that's so spammy instead of doing that yeah that um because it's i mean and it wouldn't i mean yes it is self-promotion on goodreads we have a a booked account to track you know what we've read for the show 
and that's what I do. You know, we, we give it our star rating that we collectively have come up with for, uh, for the episode. And then I put it on uh, Goodreads and then just drop a link into the episode. And I, I even feel that feels a little bit spammy, but it's honest. We're a book podcast. If you want us to tell you what the book's about, listen to the podcast. Agreed. Bam. You want to talk about the trailer? It's kind of weird. <laughs> so in our extensive research for the uh, for the episode um, earlier today, I was on the Broken Piano for President dot com website, and I noticed that there was a link that said movie, so I clicked on it, and there's about a minute and a half long trailer of uh, what looks like Cameron Pierce from Lazy Fascist sitting at a table eating a burger where the instead of meat, it's like a cassette film, and there's like it's really messy, and there's ketchup and mustard, and he's drinking. Probably Jack Daniels. Now that I think of it, um, in certain cuts, you know, it just cuts back and forth from him drinking alcohol and bur- eating burgers. It's fairly but, um, foul. Uh, the nice thing I like about it is, uh, yeah, it is foul. It's Livius kind of, you know. Um, the thing I like about it is it kind of throws in some of the reviews and stuff that uh, that they've received from, you know, probably the. I didn't see books, but it's because, you know, they made this before we got to it, obviously. Um, and one of them was uh, from a rejection letter from Penguin about, Viking. was it Viking? It was Viking. You don't even know, do you? Oh, I'm pretty sure that Viking is closer than Penguin. Well, we're going to find out. I'm going to put the brakes on this right now and go find out. Oh, Viking, but it's from Penguin. Does Viking own Penguin? Pierce does it, does it say both? One editor at Viking. Okay, <laughs> so I'm really not sure who's right about this, um, but there's a there's a link called nauseating on the website too. In 2007, my agent, who is no longer my agent, shopped around an early version of Broken Piano for President. Did not go so well. One editor from Viking went so far as to call the book nauseating. Um, thankfully, Lazy Fascist Press fears no nausea. Blah blah blah. And then he actually puts a scanned copy of the letter. That's weird. Okay, so it's Penguin Group is the logo at the top but at the bottom it's an editor from viking so they must own each other it must be some sort of weird viking penguin ownership thing going on you know it's the most beautiful thing in the world rob what we're both right yeah it worked out it was like we're doing a little hug here okay so yeah but in this rejection letter it's like oh thanks for sending broken piano i loved all this stuff about it um then he says the acts of a couple of the characters um, were too outrageous and sometimes even nauseating. So um, those types of things kind of popped up in that. We were talking about the trailer. That's why we got onto this. But, yeah, the trailer has those types of quotes and stuff. So, yeah, it's nice and kind of nauseating. Kind of nauseating. It all, all ties right. together. Ready to put that puppy to bed and move on to our next book? Yeah, let's do it. Anyway, thanks. Um Patrick Wensink for for Broken Piano for President. I think I, I think it was a pretty damn good book, and I'm glad that Cameron Pierce. Oh oh, Cameron Pierce brought it to our attention. Um, he uh, posted on the booked podcast listening group uh, originally when the cease and desist order landed. He's like, hey, this guy who's published through our company had this going on. Thought you guys might like it. So that's really what originally brought it to our attention. I think. So thank you, Cameron, and thank you, Patrick. Definitely, and uh, so you got anything else uh, before we call it a night? Yeah, this is, this is kind of weird because this doesn't really fit in with, with our podcast so much, but it's kind of something weird that happened. Rob and I had both read this book 
separately. Um, and we decided not to review it because a lot of you know how I feel about nonfiction work. So this is kind of a, that's the word I'm looking for, like an expose, I guess. Is that the right word for it? Uh, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that, 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 you know, someone sent to us and we thought, all right, all right, you know, we can we can read this. It seems like the content is interesting. And it was really, really good, but I just didn't think it fit with our show. And uh, something weird started happening as we started getting emails and messages on Facebook and stuff about, you know, hey, why aren't you guys talking about FCJR? So here's what happened. We decided that, you know, this is definitely something that needs attention. Um, but we, we weren't going to approach it in the traditional sense. So we essentially just kind of crowdsourced a review of the book and uh, decided that um, I think it, if we decided it fit best basically in like kind of a video format as opposed to a typical, um, you know, audio only kind of situation. Yeah. So now we have video reviews from, from, you know, from all over the world, really um, all addressing this, this FCJR book. I don't think I don't remember last time I've heard people feel this strongly about about a book. <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, usually and especially with the people that we know and, and consort with, there's definitely a range of emotions about books. Some people will love them. Some people will just think they're trash and everything. And that's really not the case with this. It's kind of a unified. It's it's a it's a unified kind of idea. Everybody feels very similarly. I think about this. Agreed. So what we decided we would do is uh, we, we kind of collect all these videos together, and it's actually kind of a tedious process. So we've started uploading them, and we're doing it a little bit at a time. But um, we've set up a YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com slash user slash F Caleb J. Ross. Um, that last part's all one word, F Caleb J. Ross. Uh, I'm thinking if you search for you know that F Caleb J. Ross in the search box, that might pull it up too. Um, but uh, yeah, an anonymous author. But yeah, I mean, just so many people that that are going and 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 talking about this, and not just about the book, but about the content of the book and and, and what the book is really about, and really about Caleb himself. Uh, we've seen a bunch of these videos so far, and here's some interesting things about Caleb Ross as a person. I mean, we really liked Caleb, as a lot of you know. He's he's uh, been on our show three times, and a live reading, and. Uh, Boy, but I got to tell you, reading this book really, uh, it really makes you kind of relook at the things you thought were real. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely check out the YouTube videos. Uh, there's uh, going to be a few up uh, when this episode goes live, but as time goes on, there'll just be more and more. So you can obviously subscribe to the YouTube channel, and most likely we'll be posting links to those from at least the booked podcast listening group if not also maybe from the book page but i think the booked podcast listening group is going to be the best way to catch links to them as they come out all right so there's a there's two books we touched on this week man i feel overworked like we need a break should we take a break this next episode well it's kind of a big deal if you think about it um we're hold on hold on let me think about it for a second yeah i'm not seeing where you're going with this well I posted earlier on Facebook. I just wanted to, uh, to to let everybody know that we were recording tonight, and it, it occurred to me as I was posting it. This is our the one that we're recording right now is our 99th episode. So it's our the only it's our last ever um, episode with a two digit episode number. Does that mean what you're saying is that our next episode is has three digits? Three digits. It's our hundredth, one hundredth episode of Booked is our next episode. So yeah, why don't we kick back, take a little bit of a break? We don't read a book next time. All right, I uh, you know I was playing all cutesy there, but 
Shit, it's our hundredth episode, man. That's pretty goddamn cool. <laughs> Sorry. And if anybody anybody who's been listening for a while, that's ninety seven episodes more than Livia's ever expected us to do. Hey, this is the problem with me and Rob earlier talking about Gray's when we're both right. He wanted to quit at episode four, but he was like, I'm gonna prove this guy wrong. We're gonna go like a hundred plus episodes on this thing. So there it is. <laughs> All out of spite. So ninety six episodes out of spite. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's that's how it's uh, that's how it's working out. So, but um, then asshole, asshole, Olivia's the other day was like, "We're never gonna make it to a thousand. <laughs> you know, I gotta be honest with you. I, I don't know that I want to make it to a thousand episodes. That just seems like a lot. Well, we did a hundred in a year and a half, so it's only ten times more than that. Exactly. <laughs> God damn it! Could be in a retirement home doing this show. So um not really sure what we're doing specifically to fill an entire episode. Um, so it's probably going to be along the lines of a, of a little bit of an interlude. But I will say this. Um, we will have book's biggest announcement ever this next episode. Biggest ever. I, I'll back that up. I think I know what it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's big news. I think it's going to be something nice to talk about. It's big. It's big news for us. Who cares about everybody else? Yeah, and I mean, bigger than FCJR, the runaway hit of the summer. Yeah, no kidding. Which, no if kidding. anybody, I, I want to clarify this. I want to put this out there. If anybody's actually looking to to get the book and read it, um, it's it was a very limited availability, and it's actually not a book that's available um, right now. It's kind of out of print. Just vanish. It's out of print. Really tough to get. Um, we've even kind of loaned our copy out into oblivion so uh it's it's kind of whoever whoever had the chance to read it you know is is, i don't know if it's lucky or (laughs) cursed or you know i don't know if it was a blessing or a curse for them to have have gotten their eyes on it (laughs) (laughs) oh we're having way too much fun so here's here's what we've got you're gonna go check out these these videos it's youtube.com slash user slash f caleb j ross you're gonna to want to go check those out you're gonna to want to check back every few days as more videos get uploaded there are going to be quite a few um, and then you're gonna to want to come back probably a week from right now depending on when you're listening but uh for our uh, our 100th episode we've got big stuff going on big, big announcement big. we put on our big boy pants for the 100 100th episode that's correct. Right I now, know what that means, not wearing any pants at all, so <laughs> it's going to be... <laughs> oh, this is just terrible. Yeah. All right, until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Another Mikey took a knife while arguing in traffic. Flipper died a natural death. He caught a nasty virus. And then there was the ever-present football player rapist. They were all in love with dying. They were doing it in Texas. Holly caught a bullet, but it only hit his leg. Well, it should have been a better shot. Got him in the head. They were all in love with dying. They were drinking from a fountain that was pouring like an avalanche coming down the mountain. I don't mind the sun.